All right, so my, my name is Will. If I haven't met you, we've had uh, new folks joining us in our gatherings uh, week to week, and so we're just really glad that you made it here. Uh, and if you have maybe not been around for a while and you're able to jump back in today, we are especially glad that you're here. So um, there, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so Susan read that passage. If you have a Bible, have a Bible you can go ahead and turn there, um, and we'll be at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. While you're turning there, Um, I'll tell you that something that you don't need to know, which is that there are a lot of scary things in this world. That is not something that you are unaware of. Okay, if you've lived 45 minutes, I think, then you know that there are scary things in this world. Things that, um, this this term gets thrown out, and I I don't know if we stop to think about the term, but existential threats, you hear that word thrown out? This is an existential threat. that means it threatens our existence, either individually or as human beings or as a group of human beings. And um, there was another existential, existential threat thrown my way this week when I watched this documentary called The Social Dilemma. Uh, have you, anybody seen this documentary? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's a very interesting uh, show, but it basically is talking about how technology is an existential threat to our society. So there's just another one that's thrown into the mix. And literally 20 minutes into watching this documentary, like 20 minutes in, my wife and I pause it and we delete most of our apps. By the end of the show, my, my wife's Instagram account had, has been deleted. Like it was, there was a ton of traction in our home with this documentary. I mean, if they were looking for like change to happen, they did it, right? Um, so the thing is that we haven't gone totally like, full Ron Swanson off the grid. We do have two Alexa dots, okay? So you may have an Alexa or a whatever the Google one is called. I guess it's called Google. We own, the, we own everything Google. Um, so we have two Alexa dots. We actually got them both for free. So happenstance, we ended up with these two Alexa devices. And um, we put one of them in my daughter's room. Now, if you're like a full, like, off-the-grid tech person, you, like, just freaked out inside. You're like, you put it in your child's room. They're, they're like, sending coded information into their brains while they're sleeping. And I'm like, uh, if it would be something that makes them sleep, you know, that would be uh, welcomed. Um, so I'm like, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, true anti-tech people are like, don't do that. It's, it's you know, something bad. And I'm, I, I am with you in a lot of ways, but... Uh, she really loves to play, my, my daughter Lucy loves to play on one of, on our, either of our devices, uh, music. And so that's really what they get used for in our house, is just to play music. And uh, they're, they're not great speakers, they're tiny little speakers, but they get the job done. And uh, right now, specifically, she wants to play the soundtrack from the movie Pocahontas. I don't know if you've listened to the soundtrack from the movie Pocahontas recently, you probably know Colors of the Wind. Um, I would say Colors of the Wind is not even the best song on that soundtrack if you want to get into the nitty-gritty, you know, of that. But um, thankfully for us, um, my daughter's exes aren't that uh, clear yet. So Alexa doesn't come through that great, so she doesn't actually have that much command over the device, not nearly as much as she thinks she does. So she says with all the confidence in the world, Alexa, or her version of Alexa, do what I tell you to do. And um, Alexa never listens, right? She, she, like the little blue light never turns on. Uh, but what happens sometimes is that from, from outside of her room, I can hear, like during her rest time, I can hear her commanding Alexa to do something. 
So what I will do is I'll, there's a way you can do this. Uh, you can just get on and start playing that song through that device. And so she will command it, and then something happens. And so I'll come in afterwards and be like, hey, yeah, I turned it on. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's, that, like, there's no connecting of the dots that somehow I was the one who was doing that, and she won't believe me if I tell her that I did. Like Because, again, for all she knows, she said something and something happened. And um, here's the deal. It's, it's very fun if it's about playing Pocahontas, right? But this would become a whole different situation if, if what she was needing to hear or what that was accomplishing was actually something really important for her. If what was being delivered to her was of great importance to her life, not just the Pocahontas soundtrack, then she needs to understand how that is getting to her, how it's actually being delivered. She needs to know how it's getting there. And so our faith, what we're, what we're doing here, these gatherings that we have as a group of people, this whole thing that you're a part of, and Maybe you're just visiting, so you're not, hey, hey, I'm not really a part of this yet. Hey, the thing that you're checking out and that you're considering being a part of here, this community, it's not a hobby, right? I, and I keep saying that. I'm going to keep saying that, uh, that it would be a really bad hobby if you're like, man, I'm just kind of looking to fill the clock on Sunday mornings, so maybe I can go show up to this building, which is somehow both freezing cold whenever it shouldn't be and very hot when it should Like, it's, it's very strange ecosystem we have in here, but I'm going to go and just check it out and use my time that way. Especially if you have kids, you're like, I'm going to corral my kids for like an hour and a half and just see how that goes. Like, it's a bad hobby. There's other things you could be doing with your time. But the, and that's, that's really how our culture will treat faith. It's like an add-on, tack-on hobby for you to engage in. But the truth is, is that it's not a hobby. It's something actually really critical and we need to understand what is happening here, how things are being delivered to us, how transformation actually occurs. We need to know what has happened since Jesus ascended. Because something happened between the time that Jesus lived and died and rose again that got you into a room a million miles away, around the earth, thousands of years later, we're gathering here. Why? And here's what I want you to see today is that the work that was began was that began all those years ago, it's not over. And the work in you is not finished yet. So we need to understand some things. And the, the way that John Piper comes at this particular text is, is, is there's a quote. He, he talks about how it's not a mere academic interest in some distant, unrepeatable event. That's what we're looking at today, this event of Pentecost. And it's not an academic interest that we have in it. He says, I come with the persuasion that we have much to gain for our day of widespread deadness and powerlessness from the Spirit's work at Pentecost. We have something to gain among us today because of what happened at Pentecost. And so where there is a need in you for revival, where there's a need around you for revival, where there is a need in you for power, or there's a need around you for power, then there's something for you in this event of Pentecost that we're looking at today. Okay, so lean into this. It's not a hobby or a game. There's something that we need to see that happened so many years ago, and there's parts of that that are happening still today. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It'll be on the screen, so you can follow along there or on your device. Be careful. There's a lot of hidden things to pull your attention away on your device, okay? 
You're welcome for that. Um, so Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus, Jesus has just ascended, so uh, gave some strict commands to the disciples, don't go anywhere until the power that I'm sending is going to come upon you. Stay in Jerusalem. So they did that. They were praying. Here they are. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost is a feast. So we'll pause right there. Feast, the Feast of Pentecost. So this is one of three uh, holidays that would bring about a pilgrimage for people to Jerusalem. So people would come from all over the place to come to Jerusalem for this Feast of Pentecost. And it happened 50 days after the Passover. So the Passover, if you kind of remember, this is Jewish holiday where a lamb is killed, and uh, we, they remember and kind of commemorate how God brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, so they would put the blood of the lamb above the door, and then they came out from slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea. You know the story, uh, or if you don't know the story, it's a great one. Um, but Pentecost happened 50 days. This is a 50 days after that other celebration, okay? And it's a, it's, a, it's a holiday that people would come from all over uh, into Jerusalem. And, and what you need to also think about is that this movement of Jesus, this Jesus movement that, that has been in action since that day, it was, it was nothing at this point. It was 120 people in a room in the Middle East. And so there was some startup energy that was needed. And at this point, the natural trajectory, get this in your mind, because I think where we're at today, we're thinking, oh, what would naturally happen from this is that Jesus came back from the dead, and then there would become a world religion based around this. That's not actually the natural trajectory. The natural trajectory is that this would become a tragic event that fades into history. A good guy gets killed by bad guys. It's sad they remember it for a while, and then it fades off into history. And there would have been no headlines at all about Jesus' crucifixion if there hadn't been a resurrection. But get this, even with the resurrection, people claim, people claim that other people have been resurrected all the time. Okay, The claims that there was a resurrected Messiah, Jesus was not the only one people made claims about that of. Do you know that? There are multiple claims about resurrected messiahs, but, but this, this in particular, if you go back to a guy named Gamaliel, like one of the leaders of, these, uh, of the Pharisees, like this, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, he said, hey, we, we just need to see what God's going to do here, because if it, this is of the Lord, then it's not going to be stopped. And that's exactly where this movement is at. It's restricted to like one house in the middle of the Middle East, very far from us, okay? And so what happens next it's really important to understand how we got here today. So you got 120 people, probably like the number of people in this room. They're worshiping God together. So maybe they're reading from the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written. Maybe they're asking the apostles about Jesus, what he was like, and some of the things that he had taught. They were praying together and they were connecting with one another, caring for one another. And then verse 2 says this, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So look at the couple of words here. 
First, it says suddenly. This was not something that they had planned on. This is not something that they, it was like a magic trick or something they were conjuring up. They were just doing what they were told by Jesus to do, wait together and see what happened. And then out of nowhere, suddenly, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, that doesn't mean that there was a mighty rush. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, the, the shutters flew open and you got a Category 5 just blowing through the room. So it doesn't mean that. It says it sounds like that. And so you're in, their, in their ears, whether, however it looked and felt, it sounded like there's a mighty rushing wind blowing through the room that they were all in together. Now, you would notice that, right? You would notice if we were sitting here and all of a sudden my voice got drowned out by what sounds like a mighty rushing wind. You got an F5 blowing through here. You, all of a sudden you're not going to hear what I'm talking about. And then not just with their ears, but something with their eyes is happening. It says tongues of fire were resting on each one of them. And the way the text reads, this is most likely not just the, the 12 apostles. This is on the people in the room, the 120, all these different people. And based on what P Peter later quotes, I think that this is the picture, is that we're sitting here. All of a sudden, there is a sound that's like deafening, and you're looking at each other, and you're like, on top of your head is a flaming tongue. Do you, do you, do you think that the, all of a sudden... God has their attention? For sure. For sure they're very acutely aware that something's happening. And, and this is actually not the first time that the Spirit of God has made himself visible in some way. Right? He's manifested himself in different ways throughout the course of, of the scriptures. In the Old Testament, you saw him manifest himself as a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke. And then you could see him manifest himself as a dove at Jesus' baptism. But the, the thing to realize is that he is not those things. That's not saying that is God. That's saying, hey, here in this moment, the way that I read it, the Holy Spirit stoops to give us visible, audible, touchable demonstrations of his presence and power. That's what you got in this moment. Why did he choose to do that? He wanted to get their attention for very, something very particular. Does he always do that? No, he doesn't. He does it when he wants to and how he wants to. But in this moment, he chose to stoop and give, us a, give them in that moment a visible, audible, touchable demonstration of his presence and his power in a particular place. But besides the sights and the sounds, something else happened. And it says this in verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Pastor Tim Keller highlights something about this, what's happening in this moment. You have a bunch of people, and all of a sudden, there is something outside of them that's coming into them. It's outside of them coming into them. It would be very, very clear if you're in the room that this is not something that's coming up out of one another. This is coming, blowing into this place, coming down on us, now filling us with something that's allowing us to speak the languages of other people. And this, that, that idea that there was needed and there is needed an outside power is exactly contrary to the message of the world. So see what's happening here in this moment and how this does not fit with the message that you are receiving today. The message that's coming into your life that in order to see 
to see transformation, in order to see good things happen, in order to become who you need to be, the world will tell you that the problem is out there and the power is in here. Right? The, po- the power is in here and the problem is out there. It's the world that's messed up, but you, you can do this. You can muster up the strength. You can do this. But that's exactly opposite of what the scripture says. The scripture says the problem is in here. There's something broken in me, and the power is out there. Now, that's not a a super um, uh, esteem-building message, right? All of a sudden, your ability to say, I feel great about me, and I'm awesome, and, you know, I'm the greatest, and I got this, all of a sudden will be really hard to muster up when you realize that there's a problem in me, and there's a a power out there that I need. But it was clear to everyone, clear to everyone, that something was empowering this behavior that wasn't coming from inside of these people. Something from outside was coming in, and it was bringing a power to do something. And you can see that in verse 13. If you look down at verse 13, uh, the people who begin to mock what's happening here, what they say is, it says, verse 13 says, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. So they're like, something's going on here. Something came from outside these people, and it got inside these people, and it's doing something in there. Everybody, whether you are uh, believing that God's at work here or you're just believing that some, some really weird, uh, you know, red wine got to their heads and hearts early in the morning, okay, whether it's one of those, you know that something's coming outside and moving in and it's changing, it's doing something, it's empowering. And so it's not surprising actually when Paul is calling Christians to live a spirit-filled life. In Ephesians chapter 5, we've talked about this, how Paul, when he's looking for a way uh, to talk about the Spirit-filled life, the life of being controlled by the Holy Spirit, he contrasts that with being drunk, actually. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but be, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about being controlled by something. You're getting controlled. Don't be controlled by wine. Be controlled by the Spirit. And that's what's happening for these people is that they're being controlled by the Spirit. Do you see that? And so in this instance, instance, the Spirit was filling these people and enabling them to speak other languages, okay, which is a crazy thing to have witnessed, okay? But people focused on the tongues part. First, they, they, they kind of mixed this up with Paul's references to his spiritual gift of speaking in tongues later in the New Testament. What's happening very specifically right here is that these people are speaking other languages, not an angelic heavenly language. These people are speaking other known languages that other human beings speak. And that's what people focus on at Pentecost. Don't you know that, that when people talk about Pentecostal power or when people talk about Pentecostalism, this whole like thread of theology, you know, they're talking mainly, they're talking about these spiritual gifts and they highlight and lean into in a, 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 a big way speaking in tongues. But Pentecost is not about speaking in tongues. This is not about speaking in tongues. What the Spirit of God is doing in this moment is not primarily doing a miracle to show you that he knows all the languages in the world. 
Pentecost is about harvest. Remember, 50 days after Passover, Feast of Harvest? Pentecost is about harvest. So here's how we see that. Verse 5, keep reading. Now there, was, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. See? Uh, and, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Frisia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Can you imagine what that sounded like? Probably sounded crazy unless you know all those languages. And the picture that you get is actually that these disciples were in this room, rushing wind, tongues of fire, declaration of God's mighty works in all of those languages I just read from all these places. And the, the, most commentators would agree that they actually, from that moment, spill out into the streets, into this city that's swollen with people, right? Tons and tons, more people than live in Jerusalem are here at that moment. So it's crowded, it's packed, streets are filled. And all of a sudden, you've got 120 people yelling out to you how great God is, what God has done, the mighty works of God. But you're not from there. You speak a different language but all of a sudden you hear somebody speak in your own language. So people start gathering around. That's the picture that we get. And so we see that this is a moment where there's a harvest feast that's happening. People from everyone came to a place, people from everywhere came to a place where God would miraculously bring about a better harvest. That's what's happening. There's a harvest feast God has brought all of these people to celebrate a harvest feast, and in the process, he's going to bring about a better harvest. But just hearing the mighty works is not what's going to bring the harvest. That wasn't what brought salvation to these people. For them, they were witness, They knew that they were witnessing something miraculous. Have you ever seen, you've been around a moment where you're like, I know I'm witnessing something miraculous here. This is something special. They knew that something abnormal was happening. They knew that God was doing something right then and right there, but what they didn't know is what it meant. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't get it. So verse 12, it says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Which is a question we should ask too with them. That's what has happened. So you, you get the picture of what happened. Now, what does it mean? So at this point, Peter he stands up, one of, the, one of the 12 apostles. He stands up and he explains that it doesn't mean that they're drunk, right? He's like, guys, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They don't even sell that stuff right now, right? So he's like, it's not, they're not drunk. They haven't been drinking. What's happening, he explains, is that the Old Testament is being fulfilled in front of them. The Old Testament is being fulfilled in front of them. A long-awaited promise is coming true right in front of them. 
I, I'm just thinking, trying to get you to get your mind in this moment of like how consequential this is. It's like if you were, um, like, uh, I just remember my wife and I were dating. We dated for like three years. And um, I had tricked her into going to our home, my hometown where I was going to ask her to marry me. And um, there was a moment, like a lot of moments throughout that day that she maybe was kind of sniffing out like, hey, something weird happened here, like weird in a good way. I, I think she felt like that. Um, and uh, like, is this guy going to ask me to marry him? And uh, we got to this one point and I, I made this move. I like, we got in the car, like we were leaving the place where we were at. And she was like, man, I really thought it was going to happen. I really thought maybe we'd get engaged here. And I was just driving to a different spot. And... Um, she actually was really frustrated with me. She was like, I can't believe, gosh, you totally led me on in this moment. But I was like, hey, just let me get like five seconds down the road. Because when we get there, I put the car in park. We got out of the car, and we start walking down this grove of pecan trees where there's just these um, uh, little chalkboards that highlight moments of our relationship. But it becomes very clear very quickly that, a, that, that something long awaited had, is, was coming, to, coming true in those moments. And that's what's happening here is that something that's long awaited is coming true right in front of their eyes. And what, what Peter says, he reads this, or he, he quotes this passage from the prophet Joel. And he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and, my, and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Peter's saying is that the God who spoke to the prophet Joel is doing something miraculous, not just for fun, but to rescue you. The God who spoke through the prophet Joel is doing something right now to rescue you. This is Peter saying, this is God's power, not our power. This is God's plan, not our plan. They were facing a truly existential threat for their souls, and God was doing something about it in this moment. That's what Pentecost is. And when I was thinking about what Pentecost means for us, what it means, why does this matter for you? What happened then? Why does it matter so much now? I was thinking about that, and I, I came across this treatment for Alzheimer's disease that I heard about. And now Alzheimer's is this neurological disorder that is scary for a lot of reasons. If you have a family member or friend who has suffered or is suffering from Alzheimer's, then it can be a really haunting thing, like a really devastating process disease to watch somebody suffer through and to try to serve them through. It slowly attacks your mind. And for those family members who have Alzheimer's, they walk an extremely tough path, both the, the person who has it and the, and the family members around them. And so the way that the disease progresses, it sort of slowly steals the memories of a person, which it slowly steals their personality it's almost like they're being robbed right out from, from in front of your face, stolen away. It's heartbreaking. So when there's something promising in Alzheimer's treatment, 
there's something that's really exciting for a lot of people because it has the potential to impact lives in a huge way. And understand the treatment that I heard about and why this matters to Pentecost. You need to realize that your brain, your brain that you have, is made up of these neurons, which are like tiny, these tiny cells that, that they work together to form thoughts. The way that they kind of, they move in these rhythms, okay? And so they fire all in different rhythms to form thoughts and execute actions for your body. I'm, now, like... I don't get that fully, right? And if I did, I would get paid a ton of money because I would be a brain surgeon, okay? But that's the extent that somebody explained it to me, okay? But they cooperate in these, these neurons cooperate in different frequencies. And so stay with me on this because it matters for Pentecost. And they're in these different patterns, right? So uh, there's one frequency that researchers have keyed in on because it's, it's, it's an especially important frequency. It's called the gamma frequency, the gamma frequency is produced when you, your brain is focusing on something that's like you're focusing really hard or you're trying to solve a big problem. And basically, these researchers found ways to send this frequency into the brains of mice, okay? And what is happening for these mice who are suffering from Alzheimer's, it's, it's actually beginning to counteract the effects of the disease in their brain. And the lady who's telling you about this, the scientist is like, she's like, you're not even going to believe what's happening. When we send gamma into their brains, it's undoing the disease. And it's amazing. This, this is an amazing discovery. And the, the hope is that they could, they're actually starting human trials on that, this, the, the, the way that they're treating this. And it's amazing because it takes a very simple reality, this gamma frequency and get it into the mind of a person. But there has to be somebody to turn it on. Somebody's got to turn on the gamma. Somebody's got to turn it on. And so what does this have to do with, with Pentecost? Listen to me. God was bringing the frequency of heaven to earth. He was bringing the frequency of heaven to earth, all that had been clouded and distorted in the souls of human beings, all the things that were wrong, all the things that had been broken in the souls of human beings where worship had been distorted in the human soul. We were actually made to worship God. You were made for that, to live in connection with him and with one another. Don't you know when that connection becomes filled with like this plaque of sin that you're unable to connect with God and then your, your connections with other people get really messed up and tangled up and your soul slowly decays until you're finally and forever separated from God. That's the problem for our souls. And what God is doing is he's sending the gamma frequency into our souls. Jesus is what Peter says is unleashing from heaven power. He himself turns on the power, and the Spirit now empowers worship to overflow into every language. That's what's happening in Pentecost. And we're going to see more about this next week, but Peter's also going to say it's all about Jesus. This gamma frequency, this gospel of Jesus that's being now supplied in power by the Spirit. That's what this is all about. In Acts 2, 32, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
In verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. He's saying all of this, the languages, the declaration of God's greatness in your own language, it's all to get your attention on Jesus. And so what you need to see, church, see this, hear this for your own heart. God has gone to incredible lengths to make sure the gospel gamma can be delivered to everyone. God has gone to incredible lengths to make sure that this gospel gamma frequency can be delivered to everyone. Before You see the language that, he, that Joel uses before the day of the Lord comes? Before you stand in judgment, he is calling us to call upon the name of Jesus so that everyone could be saved. Everyone is invited, and he's making sure that everyone is going to get the news. So what does Pentecost mean? Listen to this. God so loved the world. You know this from John 3. Have you heard this? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. But God so loved the world that he sent his spirit that everyone would hear about it. That's what Pentecost is. The first Pentecost, don't you know, it came 50 days after the Israelites went out into the desert. And so they're out there at Mount Sinai. That's when they received the law from God. And now this Pentecost, you know what it means? is you don't relate to God anymore by laws. They had to stand away from the mountain because they couldn't come close to it. If they touched the mountain, they would die. Now God is saying, no, I'm going to come close to you. I'm going to come inside of you. I'm going to move near to you when you couldn't come close to me. Now, now the second Pentecost, I'm coming close to you. And then if you travel even further back into Genesis chapter 11, where Babel, the Tower of Babel was built, and God came down and said, in your rebellion, I'm going to confuse your languages. Now God is saying, I am making a way, despite your languages, to come back to me. I have paid for your rebellion. That's what Pentecost means. So what do we do with this? We're going to work out one application over the course of two weeks. That's what we're going to do, church. Because it's so simple that it's going to take you longer to actually do it. And you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. But uh, this, this one application that we're going to hear this week and then you're hearing next week, I'll, sum up, I'll kind of tell it to you like this. Lucy, the one who tries to command Alexa... My daughter, I hear her saying something else sometimes, and, and my wife has told me, hey, have you heard her saying this? In her room, not talking to Alexa, she'll pull down pictures from her wall, and she'll say, God loves, God loves Daddy, 31, you know, makes up a verse. God loves Mommy, 31, so, like the same verse every time. God loves Lucy, 31. And so I just want you to begin there. If you'd actually, now she's not making up Bible verses, that's heresy. But what she is doing is something that I would, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, hope that you would do, which is actually take the truths of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, the promises for you that are in Scripture, and actually say they're for me. By the power of the Spirit, appropriate God's promises into your own life. That's where we need the, spirit, the, the, the Spirit's power to begin his work. You see, like I said at the beginning, there's a, maybe there's a work in you that's not fully done. Maybe, maybe God's grace is still working its way deep in your life. Maybe you're still a little, maybe you're still a kid, and you're like, I don't even fully get this. Maybe God's work in you is not fully done, but you need to realize that God's work on your behalf is fully done. He could send the spirit of Pentecost 
and he could declare this prophecy of Joel to say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved because Jesus has finished on your behalf. He's finished all of the work. There's no work left for you to do. And so the first application from Pentecost is by the power of the Spirit to interact with the truths of the gospel as your own. There's a guy named David Kinnaman. He's the president of Barna Group, which is a, like a re Christian research firm. And he says this. He says, it's easy to call oneself a Christian. Listen to me because he's talking about our culture. He's talking about a lot of young people in our culture, okay? So before you write this off as other people, be careful. Read what, listen what he says. It's easy to call oneself a Christian, but much less common to find deep joy in Jesus. I'm just telling you as a pastor, this is what I see. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they don't have deep, deep joy in Jesus. He goes on, that, that conclusion is where our first practice begins. The practice of resilient discipleship in digital Babylon, which is what he calls the moment we live in, is clearing religious clutter to experience intimacy with Jesus. Stop telling God what you think he wants you to say. Stop telling the people in your community around you what you think you're supposed to say. Start telling them the truth. And then start taking the truths of the scriptures and believing them for you. For you. God sent his spirit into this earth in powerful, crazy ways to get across the fact that he loves you. And after that, what about after that? Because we said the work in you might not be done. We know the work in the world is not done. And so we know that the, the power of the Spirit, the work that he's doing is not finished. And the good news is, church, listen to me. Lean into this, okay? Because you're going to walk out of here and you're going to potentially put something on your shoulders that's not meant for you. Because you don't have to generate the power to transform other people. You don't have to do that. You don't have to manufacture some kind of power in you to get your neighbor, your coworker, your kid, your spouse around you to actually trust in the gospel. You don't manufacture that. The Spirit will bring the power. Jonathan Edwards has this quote, and we'll wrap up in just a minute. He says, From the fall of man to our day, the work of redemption in its effect has mainly been carried on by remarkable communications of the Spirit of God. Edwards is pretty wordy, so I'm going to just translate that. The, the main way that redemption has moved forward is by really remarkable actions of the Spirit. Though there is a more constant influence of God's Spirit always in some degree attending his ordinances, yet the way in which the greatest things have been done towards carrying on this work always have been remarkable outpourings at special seasons of mercy. And the results of those seasons of mercy is more people being filled with the Spirit, which is what we want as a church. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, church, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's no condemnation. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's walking in the light. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's war against sin. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's joy. And so what do you bring? Because we got work to do, but what do we bring to the table? What if you just brought desperation? 
What if you just brought desperation for the Spirit of God to do what only he can do? What if you just brought that? A deep, convinced heart that, that you belong to God through the gospel of Jesus and desperation that other people would. What if you brought that? I'm not looking for emotionalism. We're looking for experienced Christianity, okay? And we're also not looking for quick results. We're looking for them as quickly as the Spirit will allow. And just so you know, in this moment, in a, next week, we're going to see 120 people go to 3,000 in a few minutes because the Spirit said so. And so I think desperation for us will come as we remember and realize that what we're doing is not a hobby. What we're doing in here is not a game or something to fill your time. You're not awkwardly trying to get other people to take up this hobby. It's not a multi-level marketing program. When we realize that, we can go about loving people around us and sharing the gospel that is empowering your hope. Okay? I'll tell you this to, find, to close, and Matt, you can come up. Alzheimer's researchers, they're really excited about something with what I told you about this game of frequency. They're really excited about something in particular, one thing in particular. They're excited that, that, that they, might, they might have the potential to recover memories. Because the dogma in neurology circles is that once a memory is lost, it's gone forever. But what they're seeing is that they're able to get some of them back. And what's happening in these bringing back of memories is if you experience it, it would be a lot like resurrecting of a person. And that's a beautiful thing. It like is a truly beautiful thing. If you had been watching your loved one slowly disappear in front of your eyes and then you got them back, can you imagine? How much would you give for that? I tell you, if I lost one of my family members, I would give everything I've got to get them back for a day. And that's what's tragic is that there's so many scientific leaps, leaps and bounds and tons and tons and tons of mem money being poured into this just to recover somebody for like a decade or maybe two decades. But here's the truth. Church, listen to me on this. Jesus paid everything he had to get us back, not just for a decade, but forever. And then the Holy Spirit to came. He came to empower the delivery of that truth. And so let's sing about that now, church. This is a moment we get to sing and respond that Jesus paid it all, not to recover us, not to get us back for a moment or for a decade, but forever. Let's sing about that and let's be about it. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we need this truth to be real in us. Holy Spirit, we need more faith, maybe just to have uh, just enough belief in you. But even if we don't, even if there's not enough faith, God, I trust you. I trust you that you can sweep through a place, you can create faith, you can help our unbelief, and you can empower our worship. And so, oh God, would this be a week that you actually set ablaze hearts with the truth of the gospel? Would kids in this church believe for certain and forever that they can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus themselves and be saved. No question asked. No wondering anymore. Would adults who are supposed to be followers of Jesus say for certain this week, I'm calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved? God, would you, would you bring your Holy Spirit, pour him out on old people, young people, everybody in between. God, would you help us?
Would you move amongst us? We're not trying to pick up a hobby here. We're trying to follow a risen king. And so would you lead us on from here? Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts even today? It's your name, name we pray, Jesus.